0: Sports are really important vehicles for relationships. We have purpose. We have a why. We bring people together. We connect. I feel like God is our greatest supporter and our greatest coach. Welcome to Rabbi on the Sidelines. This is Rabbi Erez Sherman from Sinai Temple in Los Angeles. This week we are joined by an amazing author and professor, author of this unbelievable book, How Basketball Can Save the World. Dr. Professor David Hollander, assistant dean and clinical professor with the Tisch Institute for Global Sport at New York University. He's received NYU's highest distinguished teaching award sitting on the advisory board for many organizations including ESPN and the NYU Entrepreneurial Institute. David, it's so good to have you at Sinai Temple. Welcome to this rainy Los Angeles.
1: If you could do something about the
0: rain, uh, that, that would be a miracle. Well, thank you for bringing the rain here actually as you uh, relieved our drought. But this book, because I want to hop right in, there's just way too much to talk about. This book, How Basketball Can Save the World. It's based on James Naismith's 13 principles of basketball. And when people put rabbis and basketballs together, they think it's almost like a joke, but your book proves how serious faith, basketball and life really need to be.
1: Yeah, Uh, uh, so the 13 principles that I have in my book are just a numeric homage. Not the
0: Maimonides principles of 13.
1: (laughs) No, but uh, I'd love to do a podcast on that completely. (laughs) Uh, My 13 principles are just what I've extracted as a philosophy uh, of what the game was intended to be from Naismith, uh, how the game is operated in the world, and what the
0: world has told us it means. And so we're sitting in a sanctuary, which now is a podcast studio, but I'm going to start from the end of your book because the last two chapters are called Sanctuary and Transcendence. Yes. There's a beautiful quote from the great Kevin Durant, and he says, God's got his hand on every court in the world. What did Kevin Durant mean by that?
1: I think Kevin Durant uh, is a really big thinker. His mind was expanded mm-hmm. when he stepped on a basketball court. And I think it was expanded because he entered a social system where all of a sudden he could feel ownership of his creative, entrepreneurial, all the kinds of uh, self determination powers and empowerment uh, that a person feels when they're in that space, operating with other people, uh, that perhaps they don't feel in other spaces uh, that are more restrictive for all kinds of reasons.
0: And that sanctuary and transcendent aspect, you talk about a lot the playground as a sanctuary. You said in your class, you don't just sit in the classroom, but you go to these playgrounds in New York City, Rucker Park, The Cage at 4th Street, and it really reminded me as a young child of meeting the other at the playground. But even as an adult, when I go back to that playground, I see that that was the sanctuary that was created around me. So, what is that moment of playgroundness um, that becomes a sanctuary for the youth, which then leads to good in adulthood? There's two things
1: about a playground. Um, uh, one is that it's, I think, one of the last best, free, mm-hmm. um, totally accessible communal spaces. There is. Uh, nobody checks your ID. Nobody asks for your, your proof of uh, citizenship. Nobody does a credit check. There's no commissioner. There's no gatekeeper. You come, uh, and the only rules there are are the rules that are assented to by those who are present. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens typically is you come amidst a group of strangers, people who don't know each other, all of a sudden have to find ways of knowing each other. That's the kind of uh, social empowerment, the kind of like uh, way that people begin to connect and 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 exercise and build the muscle of empathy. The sanctuary part is really—it's a space of play. People like to say sports is like life. It's not like life. Life is sprawling, incomprehensible, uh, unpredictable. It's it's a very difficult thing. Play is the space that removes. You can still exercise all the the vices and virtues, cowardice, leadership, uh, grace under pressure, without the real-life consequences of hunger, uh, 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 loss, uh, death. Um, So basketball, for many people, maybe it's because of the fluid movement, uh, maybe because of the small space and the personal connection, serves as this stabilizing, space where you can begin to hear yourself in a world that, well, we're so often surveilled, tracked, counted, algorithmatized. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a sanctuary space. And I, you know, I was just at Harvard Law School, uh, and I asked them, do you think we should have a constitutional, a fundamental right to sanctuary? And every one of them, some of them may be Supreme Court justices one day, raised their hand and said,
0: yes, it's a 21st century thing. And so you mentioned that we can maybe dive deep into the Jewish value aspects. Hadaka tikun olam, but sanctuary, makom kadosh, a holy place. We're sitting in it right now. What should this sanctuary mean for us? Not taken out to the basketball court, but for the basketball court's rules to be brought into this place.
1: When you create uh, uh, a space where people come, the point of their coming to this space. Um, is to emerge from the space uh, spiritually healthier, um, yeah. as a better person, uh, as, as someone who operates in the world with more compassion, uh, more equanimity, uh, more wisdom. How do you uh, do that? Well, you come and you do the ritual exercises. You pray, you daven, you, 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 you recite the, 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 the prayers. It's the same on a basketball court. You go to that space and you do the ritual exercise, you play basketball, you have that interaction, that eye contact, uh, that that close personal uh, kind of relationship with a total stranger, and then you emerge from that space into the world, better able to walk on the street, better able to manage your body, better better able to see around you, better able to be a community member.
0: Uh, I find them to be perfectly analogous actually interesting because when people walk into the space sometimes only twice a year <laughs> they think hmm. that they're going to hit the half court shot without ever trying for a layup and that analogy also i think really hits home as actually my mom always used to tell me a synagogue a house of worship a sanctuary should be a place to play and to pray and i think basketball in connection with that does exactly that
1: if you find yourself uh feeling some uh, uh ambiguous or hard to kind of articulate feeling that is unsettling loss you you you're, you you feel like something's missing you're probably not getting to that space that right. sanctuary right. uh and you need to go it's a it's a very human thing these sanctuary spaces they're essential
0: so something you didn't talk about but I want to ask about because I wrote a piece on theology about this many years ago was the role of a coach in basketball and this distinction between coach and player, I actually wrote a theology called God as coach, not coach as God, that God as coach. What is the role of a coach within this system of individual and collective that you speak about in the role of basketball, not as an individual sport, but as, as you said, this sort of weaving together of of characters and personalities to achieve the goal of putting a ball in a basket?
1: James Naismith expressly, and by the way, I love coaches. I've, I've So many things I've gotten uh, from coaches in my life have, have brought me to uh, moments of clarity that I have today, or the few I have today. Um, Naismith invented a game that was meant to be coachless. Mm. Um, when the so great like Fogg Allen, uh, who he recruited to play for him at Kansas, uh, said, Hey, I'm, I'm leaving Kansas. I just got a coaching job. Naismith famously said, basketball is not a game you coach, it's a game you play. Mm -hmm. That was the first statement ever of experiential learning. This is a, the fast break, you can't, you can coach the fast break only by practicing being and doing in the fast break. Life is an experiential learning process. You learn by doing, you learn by being alive, you learn by being in the world, um, and by constantly participating and practicing and trying to figure out what you need to be as the facts and circumstances on the ground change. Um, it is a self-reliant uh, game. It is a, a, a game that uh, forces you to look at those around you and figure out how to solve problems in the moment, in the world. Um, the coach, well, that's a, a, a super structural uh, addition to the game. Um, that is, is organized. There's no coach on the playground.
0: Mm-hmm. And so if the game is coachless, then what would be your characteristics of a Hall of Fame coach? Phil Jackson, Jim Beheim, Coach K, um, Popovich. Okay. What makes um, a coach? Yeah, John McClendon. Yes. These are coaches
1: who have great scholarship and wisdom of these, of these principles, and they create the environment, the, they promote the relationships that allow this kind of collaborative problem solving, this kind of um, awareness of your constant balancing of the individual and collective while you're on the court. Basketball is not a game where you rarely do you get to perfectly set up like mm-hmm. in football like mm-hmm. in, in uh, or, or do you step out of the batter's box to take a minute and really you know think about what you're going to do like in baseball basketball is a game that is positionless yeah. and it is fluid uh, bill russell once said in the time it takes you to write the semicolon the play's over mm-hmm. it is not unlike uh, life and i teach how do i teach my students I give them some very fundamental principles on how this game is played, and then I throw them on the court. I throw them in the water. I have them experientially learn how to figure
0: stuff out. Actually, Father Hagen, who's the chaplain of the Villanova basketball team, associate athletic director the last 17 years, told me a couple of weeks ago, Jay Wright's famous um, directions to his team is always next play. Yeah. next play and throwing them out to the next play in order to prepare them for what we don't know is, in yeah. fact, coming next.
1: The greatest coaches um, weren't micromanaging. Mm-hmm. The greatest coaches weren't controlling. John Wooden... Uh,
0: Sitting had, in Westwood right here.
1: Right. He had these... I was just in the... In, in, in his, they have a, a, a replication. It's, it's act, the actual stuff from his study in the, in the Wooden Center at the, the, their Hall of Fame. He wasn't trying to... Uh, uh, call a timeout every sing- every minute to mm-hmm. to figure out what to do next. He gave them really broad principles of thinking, of life, of of, of moral values, and then asked them to exercise those uh, in motion.
0: I think again the same thing with faith. Right? We don't stand on this pulpit and tell people what to do, but we exercise the moral values so that they, the players, the congregation, the community right. can in fact go out and do that as well. So what I didn't realize before I read this book was the moments of faith or the, the aspects of faith that James Nathan Smith himself had in his life that he could have been sitting on a <laughs> and I could have been on the sidelines. So maybe share about the, I guess, the story of the saint of basketball and connect that to James Nathan Smith, the preacher.
1: <laughs> so I love uh, that you picked up on that. It is a remarkable thing that James Naysom was an intellectual wanderer. Um, He uh, was traumatized uh, from the early loss of both his parents, orphan. Mm -hmm. Um, He went to, graduated divinity school, and to the heartbreak of his sister, who never spoke to him again for the rest of his life, he said, you know, I'm not going to take a pulpit. I think there's a better way to serve God. And this was his manifestation of what he thought was the best way. It was, it was about the body working with the mind, working with the spirit. He, yes, it came through the YMCA, through Muscular Christianity, but he even went beyond that. Even the, his teachers there said, you know, I just use the old uh, elements of old games. That uh, He's like, no, nah, there's got to be something uh, a little different. And he elevated the goal, and he created a, a totally different sport. The story of the saint of basketball, years later, I hope James Nay Smith would be proud. Uh, I'm reading around Christmas time, 2021, in the New York Times uh, that uh, there's a church in central Italy, a little village called Paretta Terme, and they have a, a church. Uh, there has been it's since the 15th century, and in the church there's a shrine to basketball. And people come from all over the country to pray at this shrine for a better season, better jump shot, a healed meniscus. And I, I read that the that the village is frustrated because they made petition to the Vatican to have uh, their local Madonna be recognized as the first ever patron saint of basketball. Wow. I read this story. I'm like, this is my class. And I call my TA, who's Italian. He's, he's working at NBC Sports in New York now. And, and I said, Alessandro, uh, can you believe this? this is us? He's like, I know. He's like, I'm home in Bologna for Christmas. He goes, the church is not that far. He drives to the church. He grabs a priest. The priest the first guest of my first class, How Basketball Saved the World. First hour. And I'm like, Father, what can I do? How can I help? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, class, no grade, 157 students. I'm like, everybody send me one sentence. Why does basketball deserve its own saint? And I put this together in a letter, like a like huge letter, like a declaration of independence. You know, because basketball is, you know, knows no boundaries. Because basketball has, has no faith, no language. And I send it to the Pope. Italian media gets a hold of this somehow. La Repubblica, which is like the New York Times of, of, of Italy. And, and, and they publish the letter in full. And it's like this feature story. Like this is the first international gesture of support. This crazy NYU professor and his students. Uh, you know, this may push it over the edge. That was March 2022. On Good Friday, April 12th, the Pope recognized the first-ever patron saint of basketball.
0: And Pope Francis said, I quote, Yours is a sport that lifts you up to the heavens because it is a sport that looks upward towards the basket. And so it is a real challenge for all those who are used to living with their eyes always on the ground. When I read that, I thought it was a beautiful thing. It actually reminded me of the Psalms. In Hebrew, we say, Lift up your eyes to God, mountain. Where will my help come from? That is the 10-foot basket. And look, as you you know, I'm not
1: Catholic. um, And you you may wonder, why did the Pope do this? Um, First of all, it's the first team sport uh, to have its own saint. Soccer, which is very popular in Italy. Mm -hmm. Not soccer, basketball. It's because he knows, like you know, that you're so good at this. He knows it's time for a new language, mm-hmm. a new social currency, mm-hmm. a new lens, a new uh, delivery mechanism uh, to engage the world to solve old repeating problems. Mm-hmm.
0: So do we do a rabbi or a prophet in the shul? That's the question. We can't do the saint.
1: <laughs> I well, I'd like to know. I'd like to ask you because I've thought about what would be the equivalent. Many have
0: asked me. Yeah. How would we do it? We'll have our meeting offline, and we'll come back the next time when we'll figure it out. <laughs> okay. Um, we're yes, going go to go <laughs> to we're going to go to the film for a second. Um, this was produced in terms of the your class, and it talks about the fast break and the interaction between people. You spoke about COVID and how the fact that the world took the rims down because people couldn't stay away from the court. So let's uh, see what you said about fast break and interaction with basketball.
1: Moving through a changing world and trying to figure out what you have to do in order to meet the needs of the changing facts and circumstances that develop in front of you with other people. I wish I could teach that in a leadership course. I wish I could teach that in a corporate culture course. Unlike other sports, Basketball's a small space. It's intimate.
0: It forces us to see each other. Other sports, big space. So positionless, everybody running around the court, especially in today's NBA, by the way, right? You don't have that center that just stays there. You have the guys shooting the threes. Um, Interaction with people. We spoke about earlier, different people. When I grew up in upstate New York, the people that I met were different, were not at my synagogue, they were on the court positionless basketball
1: many people like to talk about positionless basketball as, as the the new state the ultimate you know the ultimate state of, of of the game right now um unicorns they call them seven footers who who can shoot from the outside and handle the ball that was always what Naismith intended. He, his last disciple, we spoke of Fog Allen, his last disciple was a guy named John McClendon. Um, first African-American to be admitted to Kansas as a physical education student. And he, Naismith, went to a park, watched some kids play. Naismith said, hey, what do you see? McClendon said, well, I, I see the, the, them attacking uh, the other team when they have the ball and attacking the basket when the ball's in their hands. Naismith's like, yeah, that's it. That's the game. He walked away. McClendon went on to create something called the fast break, which is, people said, well, it was undisciplined, it was a crazy style of basketball. No, it's precisely the game of basketball, which is none of us is just one thing. We all have to be what we have to be in order to do what we have to do to solve the rapidly changing facts and circumstances in a world that changes so rapidly, technologically, uh, legally, uh, politically. Who are you going to be when somebody says, oh, now it's changed. What do we do? The people who have that kind of skill to run the break, that's the future of work. That's the the, the future of yourself and your own organization. That's the future of your the evolution of your thinking uh, to take the world to the next stage it needs to be gandhi
0: said be the change uh, you wish to see
1: yes that's what happens on a basketball court
0: actually the Kutsgar Rebbe said don't study the torah but be the torah In the same type of uh, teaching of gandhi as well and so you mentioned be who you are there's sort of four topics that you discussed in this book about what it means to be who you are one is race two is religion three is nationality and then four is just the global citizen so let's start with race in terms of, you mentioned magic and Larry, in terms of urban and rural, in terms of black and white. In the bubble in uh, 2021, you saw, right? Um, racial uh, justice slogans literally on courts and jerseys. Has that changed? And you also mentioned one more thing, I'm throw a lot of thing in there because there's so much to talk about <laughs> in this book, about the idea of owner versus uh, officer, right? It seems like it's all one in terms of how we're living this life and what it means within the league. You know, I use the NBA uh, in, in a lot
1: of examples in the book because obviously it's the, uh, the Sinosure that's the, uh, the examples that people can relate to and, and see often. Um, this book and the course is not about the NBA. It's uh, about a game um, that's easy to access. It was always intended to be. Um, easy to play, easy to access. It was a response to industrialization, uh, uh, cramped living spaces, tenements, and things like that, unprecedented immigration. Uh, where in society, how often in society is everything so easy to access for everyone? Um, and I'm talking about uh, to, to, to get a loan to start a business, to start a bank account, to um, uh, to buy a home, uh, to for education, healthcare, all kinds of things. The unreconciled uh, issue in the United States, let's just take one place mm-hmm. that has one particular barrier to access problem, the unreconciled issue of race in the United States. Um, when the church broke down and schools weren't were doing what they were supposed to do, where could blacks go uh, to exercise, demonstrate, feel Um Ownership. Ownership of their body, ownership of their civil rights, ownership of their economic self-determination, creatively, commercial, all those kinds of entrepreneurial instincts being developed. It was on the playground. Mm -hmm. It was on the playground where you could go and nobody said, who are you? You're not allowed in here. It was an open space that has led to you know the the, the the poetry of social protest, hip hop, um, all the the, the the fashion and, and cultural uh, influences that have that have that have come from that. All the the the, the language of ownership was transformed. So that w- w- when they got to the NBA, they said, "No more calling them owners. You call them governors." First league and only league I know of to do that. Um, we need to fight systemic inequality systemic racism with systemic access access was always the thesis of basketball
0: and so that's in the african-american world only one example in the asian-american world is linsanity right jeremy lin who it seems like you're right couldn't had the access but couldn't get in because of what people thought somebody from china would look like or Act like on a basketball court.
1: Yeah, Jeremy Lin is uh, probably one of the most discriminated against uh, uh, athletes uh, of our time. Um, you know, he was a, a standout champion uh, and uh, state champion in Northern California. Um, um, didn't get one D1 offer. Um, performed brilliantly in the NCAA tournament in Division I. Uh, didn't get drafted. Um Lin's sanity was a moment where he certainly demonstrated that he belonged in the NBA, uh, and and even after that, and, and there's all kinds of reasons. Even the great Daryl Morey, who you know is 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 adamant about like uh, analytics, statistics tell the story, refused to believe that Jeremy Lin performed analytically better in trials than John Wall and uh, uh, a couple other uh, people that were valued above him. The funny thing is, is that Basketball is beloved and participated in and consumed by more people in Asia in China uh, than there are people in the entire United States. This is a game that is global. this is mm-hmm. a game that has that has <laughs> it gets the the superstructures of it the elite levels of it gets so trapped um, in the um, well, the 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 gender non-inclusive, the 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 racial non-inclusive lenses of uh, our current you know uh, societies and systemic uh, issues, but this game, <laughs> this game is way bigger uh,
0: than uh, the household names that we know of. And so you mentioned China, and I just want to bring that up because you also mentioned Ennis Cantor, freedom, and how he speaks against a league that. He was in in fact he was in this building in our sanctuary yeah. um speaking about the injustices in the world and yeah. how the if you wish money between mba and, and china some at least he says they try to ignore that piece because there's dollars involved yeah. be thoughts on that fact that there is a global community but there are some tensions between these two countries can basketball help that or is that going to mm. divide us more
1: yeah um it, Again, the NBA is a, is a, is a, is a commercial, for, aggressive for-profit concern. As far as leagues go, the professional basketball league, I think, has demonstrated um, <laughs> uh, uh, way more um, uh, 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 examples of higher social consciousness than other sports leagues. As it pertains to, um, you know, problems between, let's just take the Daryl Morey incident and where he spoke out uh, uh, in support of Hong Kong. And Mm -hmm. what was interesting to me was how disproportionate the reaction was when a basketball person spoke about it, then uh, other uh, uh, corporations, soccer players had spoken about it too, but oh my gosh, it meant so much when somebody from the basketball community spoke about what was happening in China and Hong Kong. And I say in the book, well, what should we really been, have been talking about? Where should we really have like brought the conversation back to? What was the one thing we all had in common in this conversation? What well, was this love of the game? Look inside the game and why the that 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 Cultural form called basketball meant so much to all of us, and maybe from there we could find something to build upon. That's where we should have went back to. Not all the uh, uh, the, the 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 commercial boycotting, the 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 jingoism, patriotism, um, all that stuff. Uh, we lost sight of where the love of this thing began in the in the first place.
0: And so this is not just a book, but it's actually a class. Charles Barkley, of course, NBA Hall of Famer, says, Professor Hollander makes the case for basketball as a philosophy. I'm ready to get my Ph.D. This is a clip about what you said about how you took this to the level of the classroom that then spreads it to the next generation at NYU.
1: Oh, and it's scholarship. Um, you know, When you look at the world and you see this battle between illiberal democracies and undemocratic liberalism and we're trying to figure out why systems are broken, I think you can go back to some very basic cultural forms that all over the world, no one seems to have a problem with basketball. If I sit in a room and I find two people who, look at Kim Jong-un, Yes, uh, a closed society that won't let anybody in except basketball players. I bet you if Robert Mueller and uh, (laughs) Paul Manafort sat in a room, they might not agree on some things, but they'll enjoy basketball.
0: And so you said you had 28 students that you basically begged to get in the classroom for the first summer you taught this class, and now you have hundreds. What are you trying to achieve in the classroom for these students to walk out of the NYU, uh, how basketball can save the world class? It's a pretty bold title, How Basketball Can Save the World. It's a, it's a, a
1: pretty big, like, promise. I'm trying to get people to think differently. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to force us to answer the question, what's the point? Toward what end are we doing all the things we're doing? For a millennia, we've been led by the same kinds of leaders. uh, 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 Monarchs, generals, um, uh, religious types, economists, lawyers, politicians, with the same kinds of isms, socialism, isolationism, communism, deism, theism. And the same kinds of leaders with the same kinds of schools of thought seem to have delivered us yet again to a similar but different conflicted and confused state. I'm asking us to look at new ways. When I say the word capitalism, some people s- stop listening. When I say the word socialism, some people stop listening. Okay, how about something else? How about basketballism? I list those 13 principles and I say, you know, if this wasn't about basketball, if this was like a political platform or a mission statement or, or, or would you like it? Would you vote for it? For the 21st century to solve acute 21st century problems? I'm just asking people to think differently as we move forward. And yes, we have grown. Uh, We have great success. People leave uh, demanding a higher standard from themselves, from their family members, from the community members, um, seeing possibility where they may have felt, well, I don't know what to do. I'm powerless.
0: And so some of the projects that are now global around the world are exactly that, and they come from basketball. You specifically speak about Africa, and I watched the film Ubuntu, um, which means humanity. Um, This is just a clip that you had on a podcast, The Basketball Podcast, um, about why basketball is global, and we'll speak about some of the projects around the world that you now have witnessed that bring basketball humanity to all.
1: Has allowed this game to have such ubiquity To have such growth as the world has changed over the 130 years basketball has existed. You know, countries have formed and deformed. Nations have have renamed themselves. Trends have come and gone. You know, leaders have have passed on. This thing continues
0: to grow. This is... Continues to grow. Let's talk about Africa and Ubuntu and now Africa and has players in the NBA, the general manager of the Raptors from an African nation that didn't have the playground that I had growing up. So what does that mean when basketball is raising the future leaders up?
1: I love what Masai Ujiri is doing. I love who he is. I love what he stands for. And I love that his, his call to action uh, across the continent of Africa to promote serious, uh, endogenous economic and social development is to build 100 basketball courts, mm-hmm. is to give that space where all the things we've been talking about, where the empathy develops, where the balance of individual and collective uh, becomes internalized, um, where a space of access. It's, you don't need much, uh, and, and, and you can go by yourself. Um, <laughs> When you go in that space, Maasai, Nigerian born, British raised, now in, in, in leading the Raptors, which were the became this, this, this remarkable galvanization point of national unity for a place that takes more immigrants than anyone else, Canada. He knows that it's in that space where those kinds of things where the the concept of Ubuntu, I don't know if he's been thinking about Ubuntu, this, this um, uh, almost like a, a forever term, uh, I, I think it's a Zulu term originally, which means I am because you are. It means there is nothing to me unless it has something to do with you. This is the story of us. This is what uh, Martin Luther King called the, um, uh, in, uh, the, the inescapable mutuality. That's the point of basketball. I can't do anything without you. You are always thinking about me. It's what we are meant to do and think and be on earth together.
0: You probably know this one, but the boober i thou relationship is, I guess, our version of Ubuntu. Right. And... I am because who you are. And in fact, you mentioned earlier, Hineni, that uh, I'm here to help in this role. Um, when we read the Hineni prayer on Yom Kippur, who is God? God tells the people, Eheye Asher that I will be who I will be. Basically, figure out who you are. And when you figure out who you are, then only will you know who I am.
1: Yeah, so I I, I think, like, uh, the I-thou would be, like, the first principle, cooperation. Hineni uh, nice. would be the, the balance of individual and collective, and then evolving into positionlessness. Um, I love it.
0: Well, maybe that's 2.0. We write the book together. <laughs> the Jewish version of how basketball can save the world. Uh, can we please do that? I, I'm there. I'm there. But it, it, it's true. You heard it here, live, <laughs> on the air. But... I think each faith tradition has something like that yes. because we're sort of traveling the world yes. now. We just talked about Africa. We talked about China. Let's go to the Middle East where you see um, both, I believe, in Somalia, you spoke about um, young girls who risk their lives in order to play, not to throw away their religion, but to say playing can be part of my religion. That's exactly right. Uh, I, I do uh, – uh,
1: in, in the principle of gender inclusion, I, I, I use this example – uh, of how basketball, for some reason, uh, is the, 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 the oasis of expression uh, of, of their existence, the validity of their female existence um, in Mogadishu, um, where uh, an extremist faction called al-Shahab um, has imposed all kinds of restrictions on women and, 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 uh, and what they can do and what they can wear. But they've specifically focused on basketball mm-hmm. as, as, as a punishable by, like, cut off your hand or death um, activity. Why did they focus on basketball? And why has basketball been the space where these women are willing to risk their lives? Because we know that when they go there, they feel that joy of being alive. That is the model for a totally liberated um, consciousness, uh, and so I, I I use that example in the book um, to talk about um, just just one remarkable place where, yeah, they're not denying their uh, faith in Islam. They're not denying their belief in the Quran. Um, they're saying, this is actually the this is actually what it means.
0: Uh-huh. And what about Hoops for Hope when you go to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and Israelis and Arabs and Jews and Arabs who don't know the other? But, I mean, Tamir Goodman, a good friend of ours here at Sinai Temple, I know you know him very well as well. The Jewish Jordan who now has dedicated his life saying, I will bring different people together in this holy land for us all because of the ball. I always felt like I was the
1: Jewish Eddie Jordan. Um, (laughs) That's just a little, uh, you know, Lakers, Rutgers, like... Uh, stuff. Um, Scarlet Knights, love it. <laughs> so this was uh, uh, this is a, a remarkable organization called Peace Players International, who was founded by two brothers, the Tui brothers. Um, started in uh, Northern Ireland, where he just went. and He started using basketball because it was a politically neutral sport to bring together uh, 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 factions that hated each other, and it worked. And somebody said to him, "You should take this to South Africa," mm-hmm. and he did. And then he went to all the highest conflict areas in the world, Um, uh, Israel-Palestine, Cyprus-Turkey. They're now in uh, uh, some of the toughest cities all over America, toughest neighborhoods where law enforcement and those communities uh, need to be brought together. They use basketball. Why? Because of all the things we've been talking about. It's a small space, you actually see each other, you humanize, uh, uh, it's positionless, it's it's, it's an ideal space to build those kind of relationships. They've won every award you can possibly win for support for development, but they said, we really want to prove this. We want to scientifically really uh, show that this works. And they did a seven-year randomized control test, the kind of testing you do on, like, pharmaceuticals and, 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 and in a medical profession, to really make sure this works. The results? Using the Israel-Palestinian uh, young people, the results is that it works, that it actually created tangible measurable pro-social behaviors they were upstanders when people said uh, uh wrong things or, or object- about the other because i'm like yeah no i know those guys it's all right they would uh, uh interrupt uh, conversations in their families and and and, and in uh, uh social settings and be like yeah that's not exactly true um they had formed friendships that they wanted to continue uh palestinian with israeli israeli with palestinian we have to be in the same space together there's no other way to do this. It's not going to happen over Zoom. It's not going to happen uh, in a training program. Um, it's going to happen if we interact in a small space, seeing each other, which means we remove the, 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 the veil, the mist of, of, of some societal uh, imposed view of the other. And we actually see people, individuals, human beings in their fullness. And it's like, oh, oh, okay.
0: I can, I can do this with you. Mm-hmm.
1: And wow, what they have proven
0: using basketball. See, I'm passionate, as you now know, of using that basketball in our faith spaces because it's two universal languages that we're having. Said, you know, our God is, your God is my God and your court is my court and this ball is your ball. And to see what can come out of that, I think, is also a, an important piece of the future. If you have a magic wand... Let's start with college basketball because it really is my passion. It's March Madness. What three things can basketball do to maybe change what's happening with NIL and Transfer Portal and loyalty to teams and to each other that how can we fix basketball a little more to make sure these 13 principles stay true to their tradition of what Naismith believed? Yeah. Um, Yeah, again, I mean,
1: we're looking at the elite levels of organized basketball. Um, which uh, may not be you know precisely uh, the, the, the expression of what Naismith intended or, or the, the, the highest form of what the game can be, but I'll say this: um, I believe that the game needs to be seen differently. Uh, it is not just an athletic institution, it is a social institution. Yeah. I'll go one step further. Uh, it's a social institution. Look what's going on in Toronto. Look what look how they've how they've changed uh, the social fabric through basketball. I um, will go further and say, basketball, other sports too, should be viewed as academic. You know, you can get a degree in music. You can get a degree in 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 art, in drama, in uh, dance validly uh, where the learning comes in large part from the doing. You spend a lot of class time doing the activity. You make art, you dance, you, you, you act. And from that activity uh, flows all kinds of understandings of uh, the human condition, history. Uh, um, um. How is that not true of athletics? Why is that over here uh, and relegated to some non-academic space? The only way this thing's going to work is if you make it academic, um, which it ought to be. You should be able to get a degree in basketball studies um, because it is now clear, it is obvious, uh, uh, major revenue-generating Division I sports is totally incompatible with the mission of higher education. Um, They simply do not belong together. Um, Not to mention, it is a 100% illegal restraint of trade.
0: And what about the NBA? What can we do? Because a lot of things are happening now, organizations like MBA Cares, who are coming into the community when they're opening up their stadiums for access, for voting access, closing down election day so people can come to their stadiums and vote. Um, what? Yeah. In the NBA can be done both on the global level, but also on the local level. We're sitting here in Los Angeles with two NBA teams. What can we do here as Sinai Temple, as a faith community, to connect with the basketball world to make a change in the, in the, larger, uh, in the larger world?
1: I think um, not just among sports leagues, but just among commercial entities. Uh, the NBA leads. Uh, the NBA, um, though you may not find perfect, um, is has the ability to demonstrate by example, by actual contribution uh, to society, um, what is possible, how we can bridge gaps, how we can be global, how we can be gender inclusive. Yes, what LeBron James did uh, by by, by showing us, you know what, arenas can be, can be voting centers, which inspired Jose Andres to be, yeah, they could also be like uh, 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 kitchens, uh, mm-hmm. and which, which saw us be like, you know what, they could be mass-factionation sites. Mm-hmm. We need to begin to alchemize as a society and become uh, something completely different and thus better um, as equal leaders of social conscience. Uh, synagogues, churches, mosques, all, all these kinds of religious organizations, I think they are ideal partners for uh, the NBA um, because this is the place we need to go to. There's, it can't just be uh, simply fitness and not your mind. It can't just be simply intellectual development and not your spirit. It can't just be spiritual development without your mind and your body. Um, we are coming to a new unity of growth that 's why the 21st century has been so hard for everyone because the the the, the siloed old kind of thinking uh, is 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 people sense it they can 't articulate it perhaps what they sense there's a there 's a ceiling on their growth they're trapped in kind of like doing too much of one or the other. The balance is off It is the houses of of spirituality it is leaders like you who can join with the MBA and give them that kind of dimension. Um, Bring those kinds of communities um, and really elevate all of us.
0: So we started with sanctuary and we ended with sanctuary. (laughs) Professor David Hollander, How Basketball Can Save the World from the NYU Tisch School of Sport. Um, It's just truly a pleasure. If you want your PhD in basketball, Professor Hollander is the person to follow. Make sure you follow him by this amazing book. You heard it right here. Rabbi on the Sidelines from Sinai Temple in Los Angeles. Have a great day.